but we want to feed you spiritually before we do. Before we jump into that, we love giving you a heads up on what's coming. And next week we have a brand new series. We just want to show you a quick trailer. This is what on earth am I here for? Why am I here? Why am I alive? In this place and at this time, we're running around like busy bees, striving towards getting a bigger piece. Never fully satisfied with what we gain because we are taught to take on life this way. I'm exhausted and I'm only 22, but I've put in thousands of hours into the things that pleased who? Have I really been living my dreams? Have I been given the opportunity to live? Or has it all just been routine? While I'm over here struggling, doing my best to simply survive, hoping the next day gets easier because I'm not sure how much longer I can be deprived. And all it took was one mind to change mine. And the action of love that instantly burst time. I couldn't help but wonder, why do you pour your love on me? The man says, this is what I have been designed to be. I'm designed to love. I found my purpose within the master of humankind. He created me to shine majestically, to give him glory until the end of time. So come with me so that you can finally see who you were made. It starts next week. So I don't know if you're like me or many other people. At some point in time, we ask the question, why am I here? What am I to do? And how am I to do it? And so we invite you to come back to learn God's answers for that big question. And if you know of people, friends or family, you think, man, they could probably use this as well. Would you invite them to come with you to learn all about why am I here for? Well, why are we here? It's, they said it's Easter, Resurrection Sunday. It's just not Easter here, but it's Easter all over Chicago, Easter all over Illinois, everywhere in this country, people have set this day aside. People get all dressed up all over the world. What's the big deal? How many international holidays that have this kind of persuasion? Why such a focus? 
on getting dressed up, taking off of work, getting with family. And these water bottles are, uh, thank you, I guess I have to drink them at some point. Getting with family, preparing a meal, setting aside differences, traveling. What, what is this all about? Let me start off by saying, I know people call this Easter, but I want to put some meaning back into it and focus on the resurrection. My mom would tell me, it's Resurrection Sunday. When's the last time you had someone say to you, on this day, happy Resurrection Sunday, right? And can I offer you a challenge right in front of me? Take a little reverb out of this for me. Thank you, Austin. My challenge is this. Today, just, just shock some folk. Just surprise some people. Instead of saying Happy Easter, just say Happy Resurrection Day. Watch the reaction. I did that this morning with my neighbor, and he kind of got tongue-tied. You know, Happy, well, yeah, same to you too, brother, right? But you see... Resurrection requires death first. And without death, there is no life. And so when we talk about resurrection, we cover the whole scope of something significant beyond an Easter bunny or Easter eggs or Easter lilies or chocolate or whatever else that we've kind of tagged, jelly beans, that tags along with this day. We put Jesus right at the center of the holiday. Just tell somebody, happy Resurrection Day. Just tell them, just real quick. Just kind of get used to saying it on your, on your lips. Amen. And I'm going to say to you, and you say it back to me, happy Resurrection Day. Oh, wonderful. That just sits right. That just feels right. You know, people will say, he is risen, and other people will respond, he is risen indeed. So I'm going to say, he is risen, and you say what? He is risen. He is risen. All right, we're going to get there. We're gonna, if you're here, and you're like, man, you know, you got us doing a lot of talking back and forth. I just want to sit and watch. I, I'm not necessarily a monologue kind of a pastor. I do like a little dialogue, so make sure that we're alive and we're kicking and we're getting it. And so if something hurts, you can say, ouch. If something sits right, you can say, praise God. You know, you could go, mm, mm, whatever, you know. Just let me know that you are alive. What's the big deal about two pieces of wood put together in the form of a cross. What is the big deal about focusing on a tool of punishment designed for the worst and worst of criminals? We wouldn't celebrate an electric chair today, would we? We wouldn't focus on uh, the lethal injections as a moment of celebration, would we? So why are we choosing to celebrate a thing called the cross? Well, I'm so glad you asked, because we want to try to unpack this for you a little bit today. But before we go, can we just ask God for some help? Let's just pray. Father God, we come before you right now in the name of Jesus. 
we recognize you as the exalted one. In fact, when we think about how exalted you are, you are exalted above all other people that are exalted. In fact, the, the, the distance between how high and lifted up you are is so far removed, even if we think three light years, ten light years, a thousand light years, there is no connection between the most highly exalted person on this earth, in this age, in any age to come, and you. You sit in a position and place all by yourself. For that, we declare you to be holy, holy, holy. Well, Father God, as we have assembled here, perhaps thinking under our own power, but really under the persuasion of your hand, by your invitation, we're here. We ask now that you take your word and that you would speak to our hearts, that you would make it so personal we would sense you're calling us by name. Help us to hear what you are saying to us. Lord, we love you. We thank you. I need your help, Lord Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. The big deal about a symbol of torture. How did it happen? where a symbol known for its horrific intent. How did it become a symbol of hope and life? I don't know if you know or not, but before Jesus showed up, this tool was around at least 500 years before him. The Babylonians, the Syrians, the Persians, the Greeks, and the Romans all use this tool specifically to create pain and an extended death sentence for what they believe a worthy criminal. And with each nation that rose that used this tool, they perfected it and made it worse and worse. In fact, history is recorded that of all the tools of punishment created by man, this is the most excruciating, the most painful, the most humiliating. And even after Jesus, they continued to use this tool at least 300 years afterwards. But it wasn't until one man came, hung on this, that this tool of destruction became a tool of life. And what I want to do today is talk about what happened on that day on this cross that made the difference so that 2,000 years later 
People who normally don't show up at church show up. People who normally don't focus on God suddenly start thinking about what happened that made that difference. I I won't talk about how Jesus was brutally beaten and how his skin was literally filleted and shred and his beard ripped out at the roots and how his hands and feet were pierced and his head was crowned with thorns and his lung became depleted of air and how his body was made bare. These are all things that happened to Jesus. But what I really want to focus on is what happened to Jesus that made it unique distinct and different. If you have your Bible, turn with me to Matthew 27. We'll start with Matthew 27, and we're going to be moving from Matthew to Luke to John, back to Matthew. So kind of bear with me. If you want to flip through it, you can find it, but we're also going to have it up here. But we want you to be able to take a look with me about what happened on the cross. Matthew 27. Verse 41 through 44. 41 through 44. If you have it, would you just say amen? Amen. Would you be so kind once more just to stand with me? Just, just to kind of stretch your legs a little bit, but more importantly, to honor God's word. We're just going to read these four verses and share a moment with you. And it says this, Likewise, the chief priest, also mocking with the scribes and the elders, said, He saved others, himself he cannot save. If he is the king of Israel, let him now come down from the cross, and we will believe in him. He trusted in God. Let him deliver him now if he will have him. For he said, I am the son of God. And even the robbers who were crucified with him reviled him with the same thing. The first thing that we notice that happened to Jesus on the cross is people mocked him. Have a seat for a second. People did what? They mocked him. They made fun of him. They jeered him. They poked fun and, and made jokes about him. And it, it just wasn't anybody who was making jokes. These were people who were powerful people, people who had clout, people who had esteem, people who had dignity, people who had poise, people who had status. They called them the chief priests, the Pharisees, and the scribes, and the elders, people who were the somebodies in that day. And they saw this man hanging on a cross, emasculated and body torn apart, already in pain and full of embarrassment, down to his drawers, and they walked by, and they mocked him. Ever had somebody make fun of you before? Anybody belittle you before? Anybody 
make you the butt of a, a funny joke, and as soon as they did it, everybody laughed. And don't let it be you are already in pain. Maybe some emotional pain or something that was already gone wrong. Maybe uh, your mom or father or family was sick or had left or something just real personal. And somebody found out the intimate part of your life and they decided that at that moment it would be a great time to make a spectacle of you. Many of you know that I work at a school and many people fight over people making fun of them. It can be a Facebook status, it can be a Snapchat, somebody lagging and falling asleep in the classroom, they take a picture, they send it out, and, and all of a sudden, when they saw Jesus, the one who had done great miracles, people saw him, he who stood on mountaintops declaring life-transforming teaching, the one who provided bread for the hungry, who sat and hung out with the low of that society. There was no wrong that they could really say that he had done, but they felt like this was a great opportunity for them to exalt themselves over Jesus. One of the things that happened on the cross is that they mocked him. Not only were the people who were in great esteem mocked him, but Jesus wasn't on the cross by himself. There were to his right and to his left hanging some common criminals. They called them robbers, thieves, people who had done some wrong, had gone through the court system and had been found to be guilty. They were stressed out there too, but even in, in their pain, they feel like, wow, you know what, misery loves company, right? So well, we're already dying, we're already miserable, why don't we join in on the fun too? Let's get a last laugh in before we get our last breath. How insane that moment be. Jesus received the mocking so he can say, I can identify with those who struggle with being made fun of. On the cross, Jesus was mocked, but not only was he mocked, in Luke chapter 23, verse 33. Jesus did something else on the cross. Verse 32, I'll start there. And there were also two other criminals led with him to be put to death. And when they had come to the place called Calvary, they crucified him and the criminals, one on the right hand and another on the left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them. For they do not know what they do. What else happened on the cross? Jesus extended forgiveness on the cross. Imagine, I want you to sense the, the gravity of what was going on while Jesus was in pain. I mean, if you stub your toe and it's because you hit a chair, you're probably not going to speak a kind word to people right then and right there. Don't let the person 
uh, uh, step on your foot. That's probably the last thing you want to do is bless them at that moment. Well, you do might want to bless them, but not in the way we think about it, right? And Jesus, in the midst of being tormented inside and outside, he looked over the landscape. And he saw people standing there watching him. Some wagging their fingers like, see, I told you, you were up to no good. It was going to catch up to you. And there were others standing there with tears going down their eyes. And there were others there who were confused and had that bewildered look like, what's going on? Jesus just healed me last week. And all of a sudden this week, he's hanging on a cross. The ruler of the land, Pilate, had condemned him. The chief priest who was supposed to be at the temple getting ready for the Passover was standing around part of the spectacle. But Jesus just didn't see the people standing directly in front of him. I think when Jesus ushered these words, he looked a few years into the future. He looked and he saw your face and my face. He saw my sins and your sins. He saw all the things that we would ever do that would be an offense against God. And when Jesus ushered those words, Father, forgive them because they do not know what they do. He's just not talking about people who nailed him to the cross. He was declaring open season for forgiveness for anybody who would do anything wrong if they would simply receive his forgiveness. Jesus says, God, don't lay this wrong to their account. You know, when we do wrong, right, it gets marked down. There are books kept on us, the things that we say, the things we do. But when Jesus says, Father, forgive them, and people decide to receive that forgiveness, all of those wrongs get washed away. And the book is new. And Jesus says, Father, Forgive them. They do not know what they're doing. So not only was mockery taking place on the cross, but forgiveness extended on the cross. But if you go a little further in Luke 23, something else happened on the cross that made it unique. In verse 42 and 43, and then he said to Jesus, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, and surely I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Two things happened on the cross at that moment. The thief that was on one side, he stopped and realized 
me making fun of this man Jesus is wrong. There was something that happened in his spirit, in his mind that says, I'm in a place of condemnation. And I need salvation. I need deliverance. I know that in a few moments, maybe in a few hours, my spirit will separate from my body. And wherever my spirit goes really depends on how I decide to communicate with this man in the middle. And he decided to change his mind. That's called repentance, by the way. He was headed in one direction, and he decided to change his mind and go another direction. And all that can take just a moment. And so he said, Jesus, I know you are who you say you are. I know that you are Lord. And I know that there is something that's going to happen bigger than this moment. You've got a kingdom you've been talking about. I've heard about it. It's not of this earth. You are a king over all kings. When? I leave this place. Would you remember me? You ever have a friend that played the lottery? I hope it's not you, but, you know, and they say, well, I'm going to put these numbers out here. And you're like, well, if you strike it big, remember me. Hook me up, right? Right? Uh, if you got somebody that's making a big connection or a big job connection and they look like they get the sweepstakes and like, hey, remember me? Hook me up. Make sure you don't forget me. And this was going to be the biggest landslide sweepstake salvation that ever happened on the face of this earth. And the man said, I know I'm a criminal. I know I took what didn't belong to me. I know I'm a thief. I know I'm wrong. I am guilty. I am supposed to be here. My life is over. But when you get into your kingdom, would you just remember me? And Jesus turns to him and says, yes, today, you will be with me in paradise. Salvation happened on the cross. One other thing happened on the cross, though it's not mentioned directly, but it's indirectly understood. Because there were two thieves, and one decided to repent, but the other one didn't. And I just got to tell you about that thief, because there are a lot of people who are in that place of making a decision whether to say, Jesus, I will trust you, or Jesus, I won't. Both thieves died that day. One died and went to paradise and went to heaven. The other died and went to hell. And hell is a real place. Church, I just got to say, I know we don't talk about that much. It's a very uncomfortable topic, but uh, salvation means nothing unless we understand that there are consequences to our sin and to our wrongdoing. Hell is a real place. It's a place where people are separated from God forever. It's a place where there is no joy, there's no smiles, there's no friends, no holidays, no parties, no celebration, no good times, no rest, no relaxation. It's just torment forever and ever and ever. Hopelessness beyond hopelessness beyond hopelessness. It is death over death over death forever and ever and ever. Separated with no end forever. Hell is real. What happened on the cross 
was a defining moment. One thief made it in to heaven and the other one didn't. And that happened on the cross. But eventually what happened on the cross is that Jesus died on the cross. Matthew 27, 50. It says this. Verse 15, Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and he yielded up his spirit. Some people want to debate the fact that Jesus didn't really die. And there are all kinds of records that make it clear that Jesus was completely dead. He was dead as dead can get. He wasn't just in a coma. He wasn't half asleep. He didn't, didn't swoon. He didn't just pass out. He didn't faint. He literally, his spirit left his body. That happened on the cross. And to give evidence that he was indeed dead, they pierced him according to John chapter 19, verse 34. But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and immediately blood and water came out. They, they wanted to identify and validate that he was dead. And the best way for them to do that, they had to pierce him. He had to bleed, but when he bled, the sack right underneath the heart and the lungs would fill up with fluid. It looked like water. So when they punctured him, the blood and the water separated, giving full evidence that he, Jesus, the Christ, the Son of the living God, was indeed dead. He had to shed his blood. The Bible says without shedding the blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. So what happened on this cross, this cross was bloody. Every ounce of his blood that was in his veins and in his arteries, in his being, it came out and it was spilled out on the ground. Blood has a way of staining things and it's really hard to get out. I don't know if you've ever had a white shirt and you poked yourself and somehow got it on you and it dried. It just, it's just tough to get out. But when Jesus' blood gets hold of a stain-filled soul, it's something remarkable. It finds a way to cleanse the most foul and most dirty and most degraded and evil and wicked person. The blood of Jesus was shed on the cross. This is... Something else on the cross, more stuff started happening. Matthew 27, verse 51. Then behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earthquake and the rocks were split. I'm going to pause there for a second. Just keep your finger right there. When Jesus gave up his spirit, and he died on the bloody cross, 
over in Jerusalem in the temple, the most sacred holy spot, there was this place called the Holies of Holies where God's presence dwelt on one side of the veil and everybody else on the other side of the veil. And only the high priest could go in once a year to make forgiveness or atonement for the, word, for the people of Israel at that point. But the huge veil split right down the middle and opened the pathway for any person that wanted to to have direct access to the presence and the person of God because Jesus died on the cross. But not only was a way open for people to have access to God because of the cross, and this is a part of the story that gets kind of funny to me. Verse 52, and the graves were opened, and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And coming out of the grave after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. See, because Jesus hung on that cross and he died and he was buried, he began to cause this new thing called resurrection. I need you to picture this for a moment. How many of you have loved ones that you know have who died and they love Jesus. They, they, they died knowing and having a relationship with Jesus Christ. How many of you have family members like that, right? And you've gone perhaps to the funeral, you laid them in the cemetery, you know exactly where they are. Maybe you visit them from time to time, right? Um, but I want you to picture that in Jerusalem on that particular day, that when the earth began to shake, and the earthquake happened, the Bible says graves opened up. And the people who had died trusted in God, full of faith in him, all of a sudden, they opened their eyes, and they're like, wow, I see the sun shining. This feels different. I'm inhaling breath. This is different. And they said, well, I don't need laying here any longer. They got up, and they got up, and they started walking around. They started walking around Jerusalem, started declaring, by the way, when Jesus' spirit came off the cross, went down through the grave into hell, it hit me. I'm up and I'm alive. I don't know how it happened, but I'm alive. What a weird moment because of the cross. It was the trailer for the resurrection movie that's yet to come. You thought they were having a hard time with Lazarus being raised from the dead. How about many saints who have been dead for a long time suddenly rising from the dead? Saints were resurrected because of the cross. The Son of God was proclaimed because of the cross. So for 40, 54, so the centurion and those who were with him who were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake and the things that had happened. They feared greatly saying, truly this was 
the Son of God. The Son of God was proclaimed on the cross. And that's not something everybody would have the audacity to say. Remember, they had been laughing at him, making fun of him, treating him as a spectacle. And here stood a Gentile, a Roman, a centurion, a person who was a warrior. And he stood. He felt the earth shake. And he looked on the cross. And he said, that man is a son of God. And Jesus was raised from the cross, from that moment on, Matthew 28, picture this Jesus hanging on the cross, and two righteous men pulling him off the cross, burying him in a tomb. And for three days, Jesus was in the grave, and while he was in the grave, he was handling business. But the Bible says, in Matthew 28, verse 2, And behold, there was a great earthquake. For an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door, and he sat on it. And his countenance was like lightning, and his clothing was white as snow. And the guards shook for fear of him, and it became like dead men. And the angel answered and said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen. And he said, come see the place where he lays. Man, what I like about it, man, hardcore marine-like stud warriors were standing at the tomb site, and the earth fell apart, and they fainted. But the women who were there seeking Jesus found the courage to stay alert, to stay awake, because they needed to know where Jesus was. There's some power in some, some women who are seeking after God. They said, you know, I don't care if the earth shakes. I don't care if mountains move. I don't care if the thunder rolls, if the storm of heaven is falling down. If I need to find Jesus, I will search through the hell and high waters, but I've got to find Jesus. So they were looking and looking and looking, and they needed the answer. And the angel said, by the way, I've got good news. He's not dead. He's not here. He's not in his tomb. He's risen. He's alive. Come take a look for yourself. Jesus is alive. And so... Because of the cross, things are now different for us. The cross is not just about a good luck charm people wear around their necks. It's not just a tool you use in exorcisms, right? And the, the, the cross has forever changed the course of human history because Jesus connected with this cross. He rewrote the entire story of what death looks like and said, over death, I'm rewriting new life. And so, because of the cross, 
healing and blessings are available because of the cross. He says, by my stripes. That's what he says. You are healed. I would imagine that there are those you know, and maybe even sitting here, who came with your heart broken. Broken into thousands of pieces like Humpty Dumpty's eggshell. And you've been working really hard to try to patch it up and put it back together again. You and all of your friends and the king's horses and king's men, they, no matter how much you've tried, could not put it back together again. Your heart is in pieces. You're here and you're in your Sunday finest and you look good. But deep inside, there is a whole bunch of stuff going on. And you said, I just wonder if I came to the cross and trusted Jesus, can he heal my broken heart? And the answer is yes. Jesus can heal the most broken of broken spirits, hearts, minds, and beings because of the cross. Because of the cross, relationships are now open that weren't open before. Because of the cross, you can have a connection with the God of heaven that we couldn't have before. I need you to know that the doorway to heaven was closed to us. We didn't have access no matter how much we knocked and says, God, I want to get in. I want to talk to you. I got some prayers I need to pray to you. I got some things I need you to do. God, will you hear me? Before the cross, God was like this. After the cross, God is like this. Relationships can be restored because of the cross. And if God says, I can restore a relationship with a fallen, broken man, then who is it that can't restore a relationship with others, family to family, friend to friend, neighbor to neighbor, that those relationships are broken, but because of the cross, those relationships too can be restored if you would trust Christ in the cross. Relationships. Justice can be had because of the cross. All wrongs can be made right because of the cross. I know there are things in our lives today that you say, man, they're really messed up. No matter how much I try, no matter what system we use, it just seems like wrong is always triumphant. Wrong is always the victor. But I'm telling you, because of the cross, right will eventually rule. Justice can be had because of the cross. All wrongs can be made right. But above all, life can be had because of this cross. There's no reason that we have to be like the thief who rejected Jesus. So here today, I invite you to bow your heads. I'm not sure 
what your thoughts were about the cross before you came in. And when we think about Jesus, he can make all the difference in the world. Have your heads bowed and your eyes closed. I'm going to ask the worship team to come forward. I have a few questions to ask. Here's my question. If you're here today, you're either the thief on the right hand who received salvation, or you're a thief on the left hand who has not. Today, before you, I present to you the way of life, and his name is Jesus. When you look at Jesus today, what will you decide to do with him? Will you look at Jesus? He's no longer on the cross, but when you look at him, will you be like the thief that says, Jesus? Forgive me, I want to be with you, and I want you to be with me, so that when this life is done, I know that I will be with you forever. If you're here today and that's really not clear to you, you're not sure, you've never made that decision, Today is the best day of your life. You have a choice once again. If you're here and you say, I'm ready to make that decision. I'm ready to give my life to following the Lord. I'm ready to repent for my wrong and my sin. I'm ready to walk in a new way to follow after him. If you're here today, can I invite you to be bold, to receive the best gift that God has ever given. He gave his son. He lost his son in his whole ordeal for us, for you, for me. Are you willing to receive his son today? If you're here, would you just boldly stand to your feet? Say, that's me. I need to give my life to Jesus Christ and I'm ready to do it today. I'm not going to walk away from this Resurrection Sunday not receiving the life that God has for me. I'm going to invite you to stand. That's all I'm asking you to do. And we're going to walk you through the next steps. Invitation for salvation. It's just for you. Don't miss it. Don't miss it. A thief on the cross made the greatest decision of his life, at least one of them did. 
I bet you if you talk to the other thief right now, he has a world of regret. So I was that close to salvation and I missed it. I didn't choose. And by not choosing, I'm condemned forever. Please don't let that be you. It's your opportunity. One of the things that we have decided to do as a church is say that we want to show love to people who may be in profound pain, particularly in this Easter holiday where everybody is celebrating, but said, man, I've lost loved ones due to some, some violent act. And now my child, my son, my daughter, my family member has been snatched from me. And we want to say to, to those families that we stand with you, that we love you, we care for you. And I don't know if you're here today and you're here because, hey, I got an invitation. I saw it either in my door, or my mailbox, or on Facebook. And I'm here specifically because they said they were giving out these purple crosses so that I can begin and continue the healing process. I don't know if you're here today, you say, I'm here, because I want, I want to respond. I, I want to receive this symbol of healing and of hope and of life and of blessing in place of curse and of death and of loss. I want to have a connection that helps me walk closer with Jesus. If you're here today, and you were specifically here because you said, I'm, I lost someone due to gun violence. And, I'm, and I, just, I just need God to minister to my heart. If you're here, would you just simply stand? We want to minister with you, stand with you, minister to you, love you. If you're here for that reason, we have crosses already ready for you. We want you to know what the purpose of that was. If you're here. And that's your reason why you're here. You've lost somebody. You've lost somebody. Would you let us minister to you? It's going to give you a moment. Can we stand to our feet? I just need some prayer. I've uh, 
I'm taking my eyes off of the cross. I'm taking my eyes off of Jesus. My life is in a topsy-turvy fashion. And I'm recommitting my heart and my life right now to refocusing on the resurrected Savior. I just need some prayer right now. If you're here, you need prayer, would you just join me up front? We have people who are ready right now to pray with you, pray for you, to bless you, to encourage you, to see that you walk in the power of the resurrection, not just in the fellowship of the suffering. If you need prayer, we come. Constantly creates us yeah, into something, something new. new. Oh, Jesus. Jesus, you're the one who saves us. He's the one who creates us into something new. decided to spend Resurrection Sunday here together with us. And it is our earnest prayer that as you move from this place today, that you would experience the fullness of the joy that comes with the relationship with Jesus Christ, that you would experience his peace that passes all understanding and that you would know his undying love for you. That no matter whatever we say or do, he won't quit loving you. My prayer is that you experience that and you know that in a very real way. I want to be around. I would love to talk with you. If you still need prayer, we've got people who are willing to pray with you. Daniel, just wave your hand for a second. Amen. I'm just going to send them to you. Is that all right? We've got people who just want to just love on you. If you want to love on somebody and care for somebody, just raise your hand and say, hey, I just want to be present to just, just show people that God is real. You're here. We just, want to, we just we want to be here for you for that as well. Amen. I'd love to pronounce a, a blessing and benediction. And from that point on, you can continue to enjoy the worship, enjoy the fellowship. We've got cupcakes downstairs for you. Uh, Anthony Henderson, because you're kind of the cupcake guy and the donut guy, I'm going to let you get first dibs, get whatever one you want, then we'll follow after him. Bless the Lord. Father God, we thank you that you're constantly making us new. In a world that seems like it's getting darker and darker and harder and harder, you're making things newer and newer and more and more beautiful and more and more light. And Father, I ask now that the grace of God and the love of our Lord Jesus Christ and the sweet communion of the Holy Spirit would rest 
would rule and abide with each one now and forever. And all God's people said, amen, amen. God bless you. Something new. Something new. Constantly 